So reading Joshua chapter 5. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise all the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives flint knives and circumcised the, the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved them out in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land, and he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. The fall of Jericho. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have, come ne- I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Just pray for Nick as he comes to expound the, uh, the sermon. Lord, thank you for your word, and uh, thank you that we, can, uh, that we can read it freely, we can read it ourselves in this country, and, uh, and thank you we've got people like Nick who can explain it so eloquently to us. So uh, thank you for Nick, I just pray that you'll uh, give him your words this morning. In your loving name, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Bill. It's exciting. It's exciting because it's God's word, okay, because it was written by God. It's exciting um, because God is here this morning and he wants you to understand it. I want you to understand it as well. And so there are um, the sheets, the word word searches on there. Nathan, you might need, I don't know whether there's enough there. You might need to go to the back and get some more. Or if somebody could run and bring some from the back. Christian life is a battle. Christian life is a battle. 
If you've lived the Christian life for any length of time, you will have discovered that. There's no way of living the Christian life without it being a battle. It is always a fight. It is just how it is. And there's a traditional formula that says that we battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think it's really important to understand who we are, who and what we are battling. And there's a traditional formula, it goes back centuries, says we're battling um, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't think that's particularly helpful. Uh, I think we need to be kind of more, uh, more precise than that. It's not that it's wrong, but we need a little bit more precision. So I want to kind of commend to you these verses from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 and just look for the words world, flesh, and, uh, and devil. Uh, Paul says to the Christians in Ephesus, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is before you became a Christian, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You used to follow the ways of this world, okay? And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Who is that? Who is the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient? Yeah, the devil, Satan. Okay. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So I want to look at it like this. Okay, if that is a picture, this is a picture of the world. Now, the Bible, when it speaks about the world, most specifically in John, it doesn't mean all of creation out there. It means the the world of non-Christians, the world of non-Christian people. Okay, and who is at work out there? We just read a moment ago. It is Satan who is out there at work in the world of non-Christian people. Okay, and here's you. Okay, that was you on a smiley day. Okay, Uh, you're obviously having a good time. Uh, You're out there in and amongst the world of non-Christian people. Who is at work in you? Holy Spirit. Most specifically, we we read that in 1 John 4, 4. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So Satan is out there working in all those who are not Christians. But he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world. Okay, so that's a basic position. Now, just to make that clear, here's here's a non-Christian person. Okay, Satan, Satan is at work in them. Okay, but how and where is this battle then between the world and the flesh and the devil? Well, what happens is that Satan works in the non-Christian world and he, he causes uh, the people around you, they might be your work colleagues, to, to mock you. He, he creates um, institutions that kind of want to promote, um, let's say, that issue that came up, um, other definitions uh, of marriage. Um, he creates um, dictators. Satan is at work in the world inspiring all kinds of things which are, which are not of God. But my understanding is that Satan doesn't work directly on you. What he does is he works through these other powers, through these intermediaries. And actually the main battle then that you have got is between you and the non-Christian world around you and whether you are going to let it in. Basically whether you're going to float or sink, as, as we saw earlier on. That is the battle you have got. The world will kind of set you all kinds of other standards. It has all kinds of excellent technologies to get, you into, get them into your home, called the internet and the TV. And your battle is whether you are going to 
be led by the Spirit or whether you're going to be led by the world around you. So that is one half of your battle. So yes, it is a battle with Satan, but it's only indirectly a battle with Satan because actually it's a battle um, with the world around you. And what the world around you does is it appeals to your flesh. (coughs) Excuse me, it appeals to your old nature. Your old nature of doing whatever your body wanted to do, whatever you felt like doing. And that is your primary battle in that direction. But also, of course, there is a battle in the other direction where we aim to influence the world. And remember, that's the world of people around us. And we do that by uh, prayer-backed proclamation of the gospel, by speaking the good news uh, wherever we get the opportunity, backed up by prayer, backed up by a holy life. So yes, there is a battle, and it's against the world, the flesh and the devil, but it's only, it's only indirectly a, a battle against Satan. My, my, um, my tutor, John Legg, as I've told you before, used to say Satan has no direct access to the Christian mind. Whatever is in your mind is, is yours, and you need to own it. Okay? And it is impacted by Satan, yes, but only indirectly as Satan impacts the world around you. So I think that draws the battle lines more clearly. Okay, it's not Satan kind of putting thoughts in your mind. They're your own thoughts, or they're, coming from, or they're coming indirectly from what you see in the world around you. It's not to say that Satan can't sometimes have more direct access, but in the main, that is the picture of your battle. Okay? And like Joshua, just to give a bit of recap for those who, who haven't been here, we have promises in this battle. We have a promise of, an, of undefeatable weapons. So Paul says the weapons that are warfare are not the weapons of the world. They have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So when we're trying to persuade other people of the gospel, God has weapons which are undefeatable, should he choose to use them. As, as we go out in this battle, okay, we have the presence of God. The very presence of God goes with us. Christ says, surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. And we have a guaranteed victory. The meek will inherit the earth. One day, all things will be made new. We have a guaranteed place uh, in that world, a guaranteed land. So like Joshua, we have promises. Like Joshua, we have a commission. He was told to stick to the Bible. Still to meditate on it so that he could obey it at all points. And then he would be prosperous and successful. So when you meditate on the scriptures, that's how God gives you courage to stick at it uh, in the Bible. And also, Joshua had a bit of a sneak preview. He sent his spies into the land, and he discovered that actually, um, people's hearts were already failing. When we look out there and we see this world in which Satan is at work, we we assume they're all hard as stone. But in fact, God is already at work in his world. And actually, it's our job to go out there uh, and find where that is is happening. So that's where Joshua's been. They've they've made their way into um, into the land. They, they've entered the, the kingdom of, of Canaan, which is the land God has, uh, has promised them. Uh, they've crossed over on dry ground. That is um, without facing judgment because of the blood sprinkled on their law-breaking. Sorry, I'm getting my pages mixed up there. You remember the ark went with them, the ark, the priest held the ark in the, in the, in the middle of the river, and the ark is kind of the... Uh, picture of the law that goes with them, but also the atonement um, for that law which they've not kept. So that's the basis of their relationship with God, and that's the basis on which they enter the kingdom, and that's the same for us. When we trust the cross of Christ, when you trust what Christ has done on the cross, 
you cross over from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Light. You cross over from um, death to life. When you trusted Christ, you came into God's kingdom. And so we find ourselves a little bit like uh, Joshua, just having got into the land. We're within the borders of the kingdom of God, but as yet we don't possess all its benefits. There's much more of the, of the kingdom of God um, to be got hold of. There's much more of God to be experienced. There is much more holiness to be grown. There are many more people yet to influence. So we're, in the, we're within the borders of the kingdom of God, but there are still battles yet to be fought. And so Joshua, they've crossed the land. It was, it's a mighty miracle. It's been like the Red Sea. Um, they're in the land. We would kind of expect them now to press on and kind of like assault Jericho. But they don't. Because after all, the people of the land are vulnerable. Did you, read the, did you pick that up in, in uh, verse 1? The Canaanites, who were the people down in the plain, and the Amorites, who were the, with their hill fortresses, were, were up in the hills. Their hearts melted uh, in fear. They've heard what the Lord has done. The, the land is, is ready for the taking, and God says, and you kind of expect him to go, charge, and God says, circumcise. Hmm. Okay. God is not bothered yet with sorting his enemies. He can always sort his enemies. What he wants to sort first is his people's hearts. Because that is always where the problem lies. There is never a problem for God with dealing with his enemies. But there is regularly a problem with his people's hearts and minds. If these people are to take the land, all they need to do is trust and obey. That is always the key to success. So there is a pause while God gets the preparations right. So they need to get the beginning right, okay? They need to be circumcised. Well, circumcision, this, this cutting off of the foreskins, was, was, a, was a sign of a, of a covenant relationship, a pact uh, between God and his people, okay? It's established with Abraham back in Genesis 17, because Abraham trusted God's promise, and God's promise to him was that he would make him a nation, that he would bless him and make him a blessing, and that he would give him a country to live in. This is the promise that is now coming true uh, as the people get into the land. But ironically, there's an irony here. There's a generation that came out of Egypt, and they didn't go into the land, but they didn't trust God, but they are circumcised. And ironically, the, uh, the, so the trusting generation have not gone in, but there's a new generation... Okay, and they, are, they have gone into the land, but they are not circumcised. You see the irony? Uh, the, the, non-trusting, the non-trusters uh, who declined a relationship with God are circumcised, but the trusters um, have, have not yet been circumcised, and it needs putting right. So there's been this time of waiting in the wilderness where God said to the non-trusters, um, we're, we're just going to wait until you guys die out. I'm sorry about that. And they've all died out. The last of them was Moses. Only Joshua and Caleb get to, uh, get to go into the land. <clears throat> so, the sons then, born in the wilderness, are, are, are get circumcised. It would take time to heal up. I don't have an estimate of how much time it would take to heal up, but it takes, it's going to take a while 
before they feel like fighting again. Let's put it like that. Okay, so it's a good job, isn't it, that in God's providence, their enemies are still cowering in their cities. Well, in the New Testament, the sign of initiation has changed. It's not, it's not um, circumcision anymore. It's, it's baptism. And so I want you to turn with me just to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment, if you grab your Bibles from the back of the chairs. Page 1183. And Paul mixes these two metaphors. Come back to that. Let's pick it up at verse 9. Okay, so it's Colossians 2, verse 9, page 1183. In Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of God lives in Christ. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, in Christ, you also were circumcised. Did you know that? (laughs) In Christ you were circumcised. With the circumcision not performed by human hands. Okay, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. You've been circumcised by Christ, okay? That's why you don't need to do it again. Your your whole self, your self-ruling self, okay, has been cut off. Christ has has cut it off. He's killed it, okay? But then uh, Paul kind of mixes his metaphors. Yeah, so your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him, in baptism, so the old self mixing his metaphors now, it's kind of, circumcision is a picture of cutting something off. Okay, it's a bit graphic, isn't it? Um, but he says your old self has been cut off, but the picture of baptism is that that old self has been buried. When you went under the water, it's been buried, it, it's died. Okay. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So when you became a Christian, You've been circumcised. Your old self has been... Okay, and off it goes. And the picture... But the other picture of that is baptism. Your old self has died. Left it in the grave. Left it in the water. And you came back up with new resurrection life. Holy Spirit empowered. So if you're going to enter all the territory that God has for you, if you're going to enter into all the blessings he has for you, if you're going to fight this battle against sin in your life, if you're going to be an effective witness for other people, get baptised, okay? And I'm saying it to you guys down here, okay? All right, as well as to anybody else who who hasn't been baptised. Okay, it's not because it, it makes you a Christian, but it does say to anybody who looks on, you say, I identify with Christ. And I and you say definitively that moment, I've put that old life behind me and I'm putting this new life on. And it's a kind of statement which is very difficult to go back on. I have been baptised. So you strengthen yourself uh, and your witness. So has this happened to you? Have you trusted Christ? Have you put off the old self, buried it? Have you put on the new self? Been raised again and then get baptised. Okay. So that's the first thing. Get the Get the... Get the beginnings right. And then you need to get the routines right. You need to get the remembrance right. So the Passover, 
And the Old Testament was their yearly celebration meal, um, which reminded them of when they came out of Egypt. And they eat it again for the first time now um, in, in the land. And an interesting thing happens at the same time, now that they're in the land, <coughs> excuse me, the manna, this miraculous bread that has come on the ground every morning, all the way through the wilderness, it, uh, ceases. So there's a simple pattern here. You need to get this pattern of remembrance right. Excuse me. You need to do the routines. You need to do the routines of, of remembrance. To help you remember how powerless you were before you became a Christian. You remember what Paul said, that Ephesians thing right back at the beginning? You were dead. You were dead. You were powerless. You were unable to rescue yourself. You were stuck, you were stuck in addictive self-rule. You were stuck in com- compulsive rebellion against God. And, and yet he came um, to your rescue. And if you remember how powerless you were, then you will not think that you can go forward in your own strength. It will protect you from trying to fight battles that you cannot fight against sin and for the gospel in your own strength. Because you cannot make yourself holy. Only God can make you holy. You cannot make someone a Christian. Only God can make someone a Christian. All you can do is sow. You can sow in both directions. Do you remember Galatians, those uh, adults who were here? Whoever sows to please the, please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So part of this routine of remembrance, coming to communion, coming to church, coming to the Bible, coming to prayer is to, is to remind you that you are dependent. Remind you that you're dependent on God for all the battles that you fight. But that other interesting thing happens that the, that the manna stops. And I think the principle is simply this, that in extraordinary times, God provides in extraordinary ways. And I hope you've discovered that as a Christian. Um, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're bereaved. Or, or you have an illness which looks like you might die from it. Um, <clears throat> when you lose your job, uh, wh- whatever it might be. When you face particular opposition, maybe, in, in some circumstances, God draws particularly close and he provides food for the soul. Miraculous food for the soul. In those days when you can't manage the routines, the routines of of Bible communion, prayer, fellowship, God draws alongside and and provides, provides food for the soul. But God says when life returns to normal, when things are routine, then you should get on with the routines. But nice routine, get on with the routines. Bible reading, prayer, communion, fellowship. These are the normal routines. And they remind us in the battle <coughs> that the battle belongs to the Lord. One more thing. It seems like, you read this uh, chapter through again, it seems like Joshua had a little wander on his own. He sent some spies out into Jericho but it says, um, chapter 5, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. 
Seems like he went out for maybe just for a little wonder, maybe to set his mind at rest, maybe to just look at Jericho uh, and pray. Who knows? But he has an interesting encounter. He meets a man with a drawn sword. And he asks this man, he says, are you for us? Are you for, uh, for our enemies? And the stranger says, neither. He says, I am the commander of the Lord's armies. He's not come to take sides. He's come to take charge. And Joshua falls down uh, at his feet in, in reverence. And he asks, what message have you got? What, inst- what instruction do you have? And maybe Joshua is asking, are there some tactics we need to deploy? Are there some formations you want me to assemble? Uh, and maybe it is this same commander who gives the instructions if you read on into chapter 6. But either way, there is something that has to happen first. And this is the first instruction that the commander of the Lord's army gives you. He says, take off your sandals. Take off your sandals, you are in a holy place. So it's like Moses, isn't it? Moses, when he went to the burning bush, the voice came out from the bush and said, take off your sandals. You're in a holy place. So who is this? Who is this commander of the Lord's armies? It, it, it could, be, could be an angelic captain. It could be a mighty angel come. But I think there is reason. In the Old Testament, when we read of somebody who clearly is not simply God, but is treated as God, to think that that person is, is Christ, is God the Son. Do you see what I mean? He's, he's the commander of the Lord's armies. He doesn't come and say, I am the Lord. And yet he's treated as the Lord. And I think there's reason, because you remember the, the description of the word from John 1.1, 1, 1, the word was with God, and he was God. Well, I think this, when you get somebody in the Old Testament who is in a sense with God, he's not simply God, and yet he is God, I think there's good reason then to treat them as Christ. I think this is God the Son, I think it is Christ. And so for our battle, Jesus is the commander of the, of the Lord's armies. He is for us. But he is not for our agenda. It's not for your personal agenda. He is for you. Do you understand that? He, he's for you, but he's not for your personal agenda. He's fighting for the Lord to be glorified in your life. And that's a bit of a different thing, isn't it? He is not the ultimate self-help resource. I think I've treated Christ like that any number of times. Treated God and his spirit uh, and where you have struggles, where you want to grow, yeah, God is the ultimate resource for helping you grow, but he's not a kind of self-help resource where you set the agenda So if you think, or you were given that impression when you came into Christianity, that Jesus is there to to serve your cause, you're mistaken and it will undermine your Christian life because actually you are called to serve his cause. If you think he's there to serve your cause, you'll get disappointed along the way because you'll hit roadblocks which don't seem to fit into that agenda 
If you think that he's come to serve your cause, then actually you'll never really want to witness, publicly witness to Christ. You'll want to stay in some comfortable place. So you need to make a decision today. And I call upon you guys as well as everybody else. You need to make a decision today who you will serve. Because the commander of the Lord's armies has come, and, and he's here, and he, is, he has a call out, and you've got a three-way choice. Not just a two-way choice. Are you going to serve the, the enemies of God? Or are you going to serve your own agenda? Or are you going to serve Jesus the captain in whatever he asks you to do? If you are going to be successful in these battles, you need to be circumcised by Christ. You were looking worried then, I can know. In other words, it's time to get baptised. Okay. You need to be doing the routines, otherwise you're going to fall. But most importantly, you need to fall on your face. You need to fall on your face before Christ. Submit to his lordship. Most of the problems you'll face, most pastoral problems come down somewhere sooner or later to lordship. In other words, are you committed and prepared to submit to Christ as Lord? It's time to fight. It's time to fight. This is the battle. There's the world. Satan is at work in the world. Here is you. You've been given the Holy Spirit of Christ. You've been circumcised. Your old nature's been cut off. You've been given a new heart, a new spirit in Christ. These people out here, they're energised by Satan. If you, if you think, oh no, they're not, they're very nice people, I think that's a sign that really we're just getting subtly, um, we're getting subtly conned and we've, kind of, we've, we've sailed a little bit close to the world because we can't tell, um, because we can't tell what is God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And all around you are, are people who are going to, either deliberately or, or just inadvertently, appeal to your flesh, ask you to sow to your flesh and, and not to the Spirit of God. You have to work out how you're going to fight that. They're all around you in school, you can't avoid them, um, but they come, in, they come into your house um, via the internet and the TV and you maybe need to just decide whether you, know, uh, whether you are genuinely doing a really good job of resisting them or not. And if you're not, then turn it off. But in your battle, there's a backward battle as well. A battle then going the other way, to push back the other way, to influence people for Christ. When did you last battle with sin in your life? When did you last battle with something that you knew was wrong and did something about it? I hope you can recall it, but if you can't, then you're in trouble. Get up off the couch and fight. And very simply, ask God to show you how to please him better. Do you know what? If you ask God, where, where, where am I sinning, Lord? <laughs> you know, it's a very, very dangerous prayer. But our Lord loves to answer that. Okay, so there is no excuse for not knowing where the next, the next challenge is coming. When did you last speak to somebody about your faith? 
not easy, is it? It's a dangerous business. But get up out of hiding and at the very least pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities for talk. Pray for the courage to take them and wisdom to know what to say. But how are you going to be prepared to fight? Circumcision. Decisive putting off of self. It's happened. Jesus has done that for you. But witness to it now in baptism. Routines. Remembrance. Remember who does the fighting. And show that you're dependent on him by the routines. Bible prayer, fellowship, communion. But most of all, fall on your face. Fall on your face. Before the commander of the Lord's armies. Remember who sets the agenda. Remember that the captain is with you. And fight. This is not just a one-off call. This is not just a call for this Sunday because it happened to come in this passage. I think this is a call for us as a church for this year. So let's pray for a moment. I, I want you to talk, actually. I want you to talk to the commander and say, Commander, where is, where is sin? And where are the opportunities? So you take a moment just to ask him that. Lord Jesus, we ask you to speak to us in these last few minutes of our service. Just uh, speak to us about where there has been sin. Lord, if there's been no dealing with sin for a while, there's, something's wrong. We've pulled, we've pulled out of the battle and, and we ask you forgiveness. Help us step back in. And Lord, if we're not at least looking for opportunities then to speak about our faith, we've pulled back out of the battle and we ask you to, to forgive us. And today, Lord, we want to step back in. Help us to start right in baptism. Help us to continue right. Lord, by the routines. Most of all, we fall on our face, Lord. ask you to speak to us. Lead us on in the fight, we pray. Lord Jesus, our captain, in your name. Amen.